Hi, this is Annika. Welcome to the podcast Gender and Climate. In this podcast, we talk about how climate change affects people around the world with focus on gender differences. In other words, how gender and climate affect and relate to each other. We always pick one specific topic to cover the subject from different angles. So, let's get started! Hello and welcome everyone back to a new episode of the podcast Gender and Climate. This is Annika. Today's topic is a widely discussed one and one that you happen to come across frequently when talking about climate change and environmental changes, especially in regards to rainforest deforestation and cultural appropriation. The topic is always somehow mentioned. And today we want to talk about that role, about the role that indigenous communities play in the gender climate nexus. And therefore, I am super happy to welcome Dr. Sarika Kulkarni from India as my guest today. After an amazing, memorable stint as an academician teaching at leading business schools in Mumbai, she became a for-profit entrepreneur where, at the end of the journey, she realized that she wants to focus more on the social return on invest and founded her not-for-profit Raw Foundation to make a better world for the tribals. What exactly that means, how she goes about it, and why indigenous communities are so important when we talk about climate change and gender inequality, that's what Sarika will share with us in this episode. Hi Sarika, I am so happy to have you here today. Yeah, absolutely Anika, I was so looking forward to talking to you about this such an important topic and I'm glad that you are focusing attention on both indigenous communities and their uh, wisdom on climate change, as well as importantly gender and how the whole thing can be. Actually, you know, we can um, uh, we can uh, fast forward the mitigation efforts just by involving women and just by involving the indigenous. Thank you, but I am more happy. I. Thank you. I'm Thank happy you for inviting. that you made the time and that you came and that you are our guest in this in this podcast. And I am I'm pretty sure that you will at the end of this episode you will have told us how to really make this happen, to really include them, and what is their wisdom that we can use in our everyday actions to mitigate. But before we get started and dive very much into the topic, I would like to ask you to introduce yourself briefly and answer the question of where are you right now and where did you actually grow up? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I was very, uh, coming from a very privileged background and I had a very interesting childhood. Uh, my father uh, was in a transferable job, which meant that, uh, you know, we uh, we lived in different places uh, all the time and uh, getting, you know, moving from one place to another, which actually was uh, uh, kind of foundation for the life that I'm living today because it gave me exposure to the multicultural and multidimensional facets of India. And this has shaped up my personality and made me fond of diversity. I love meeting people, understand their paradigm. Uh, I'm at the moment settled in Mumbai, the economic nerve center of India for the past three decades. I travel a lot, however, uh, both within India as well as outside the country. And it has been a <laughs> hell of a journey so far. Ooh, yeah, sounds, sounds like a very, very interesting love you had so far. And um, also when you... I mean, in the introduction, I just said you came from academia and then you became an entrepreneur and now you are doing your not-for-profit. Maybe you could could give us some background on that, how that journey went. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, coming from a family of uh, academicians, actually, you know, so uh, it kind of was a natural choice for me when I was growing up. And subsequently, I did my doctorate in management. I became a faculty with the business school. But somewhere inside me, you know, I always had this craving of uh, becoming a job creator, becoming an entrepreneur. And um, incidentally, when I was on my maternity leave, I got that chance. And I thought nothing to lose. I can always go back to the comfort of my job if, if I failed as an entrepreneur. And I would have anywhere at the end of the day checked that box that I've been there, done that, and it's not for me. And uh, that's how I kind of became an entrepreneur, subsequently extended my maternity leave and finally quit because by then I was confident that this is exactly what I wanted to do, became a full-time entrepreneur. And uh, uh, after a couple of years, I, you know, I always again had that craving to um, give back to the society, you know, I'm always conscious of the fact that I'm very privileged and there are lots of underprivileged people around me. And, um, you know, I, I need to do something in my sphere of influence to the best of my abilities. And I thought uh, being a job creator, I had a phenomenal opportunity to create jobs for the underprivileged youth. And that's what I started doing and uh, extended my training program, uh, giving them jobs, you know, uh, making them uh, fit for the job market and stuff like that. And then a time came when I realized, oh, my God, this is what I really like doing. Uh, you know, creating uh, those opportunities for the people who otherwise society thinks are uh, uh, are not fit for anything. And uh, that's what, uh, uh, at the end of uh, my tenure as an entrepreneur, I was so craving to kind of just spend the rest of my life in development sector and just do this. Um, <laughs> God heard me and uh, nature conspired. And I was then bought over by a very large American company, paving the path for my foundation. I sold my business in uh, and then immediately within one year, started Ra Foundation. Didn't know what uh, I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to do something. So the first two, three years, I uh, went in self-incubation, traveled across India, met a lot of people, finally found a calling in the indigenous uh, belt of Maharashtra in uh, near Mumbai, about three hours driving distance from Mumbai. I went on a holiday to see the waterfalls immediately after the rainy season got over. And I was completely shocked uh, with the irony of the situation where I saw the entire stretch of road towards the waterfall filled with girls and young women with pots walking for water. And I thought this was very ironical. This There were waterfalls, right? One of the highest rainfall area. And then why is there water scarcity in the communities? And that's what got me hooked onto the communities. And I started going there, visiting them. And now, uh, you know, in a decade of existence, we are uh, we work extensively with the indigenous communities across Maharashtra in different districts of Maharashtra on addressing some of the most critical problems that they are facing, which have been intergenerational and intertwined. That's so amazing. And I am so, so hooked that you tell us more about Ra Foundation and that you tell us more about the indigenous communities. And that was actually, would actually be already my next question. That would actually be the next topic that I would, ta I would like to tackle with you. Um, when we speak about indigenous communities, about whom exactly are we then talking? About which, which group of people? What, what are their characteristics? So indigenous people are nothing but the original people on earth. You know, they have been, uh, they have very distinct social and cultural groups that share a collective ancestral uh, ties with the land and natural resources where they live. And they have very unique culture, art forms, dance forms, and even language and beliefs. I mean, in India, this collective is primarily known as Adivasis or tribals. 
and uh, this collectives are known as tribes you know each collective is known as tribe and each tribe incidentally has something unique which is very different from the other tribe so they are also known as hill people as they live in either uh, uh, mountains or uh, they live amidst nature mountains deep valleys etc uh, do you know that we have estimated uh, 370 million indigenous people spread across 70 countries in the world and over 5000 unique tribes you know where i where when i'm saying that tribes as i said that it's a collective or a collection of people who live in nature and uh, who have very different um, uh, cultural uh, uh, cultural being and social norms and even beliefs language dance form art form everything is unique so i mean this is a unique culture and they continue to practice this culture in spite of all the industrialization and globalization and stuff like that and in fact i keep on saying that so important to preserve this culture because it's our uh, national heritage you know it's a cultural national heritage of the country so it's very critical that we preserve this um, and these are as i mentioned that they are original people aboriginals or ethnic people whose primary occupation over the years has been uh, uh, you know the hunters or uh, forest produce gatherers but uh, unfortunately over the years because of climate change because of massive deforestation over the years they have lost their primary occupation and have become extremely poor and uh, this has been going on for like literally for decades and the poverty is just got exacerbated because of climate change and it's very important that uh, you know we work with them we not only preserve their culture but importantly make them mainstream as far as the dialogue mm-hmm. on climate change yeah, is concerned yeah absolutely thank you make their concerns heard and let their voices be be spoken and spread and um it's 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 great that you again focus that indigenous communities are the ones being being bound to nature and being bound to to the origin of the land and being the primary users of the resources that mother earth has to offer in every in every part of the world um so that's that's also the the transition to my next question because when we when we talk about you just mentioned that we need to make their voices heard and and stuff um and that they are being bound to nature but why is it so important that we take them into discussions that we um include them into the discussions um when we talk about climate change it's obvious it's obvious that they probably know know best about the nature and the the circumstances and the changes that have been happening in certain areas of of land but um what is it that you learned from talking um to indigenous communities about the climatic changes so as i mentioned that they are you know nature people and uh, their contribution is essential in designing and implementing solutions for the ecosystems because uh, they have traditional knowledge and heritage which can actually contribute to environmental assessments and um, uh, you know sustainable ecosystem management as they live close to the nature they live close to forest and they have managed to conserve uh, the biodiversity of their localities for a very long time you know so they take shelter from the forest they eat the uh, edible wild plants so they understand nature so well that uh, uh, you know and they have also over the years created systems that conserve soil uh, reduce erosion grazing cultivation biodiversity of grasslands so they know how to preserve this honestly uh, and that's one of the reasons why i keep on saying on so many different forums that you know talk to them hear them their views need to be mainstreamed 
you know while on one side the uh, unfortunately for them on one side they have like centuries old wisdom for climate change mitigation as well as adaptation which can actually make us much more resilient unfortunately on the other side they are also the innocent victims of climate change and their lives livelihoods culture everything is threatened so honestly their views need to be taken into account we should talk to them because of both the reasons because they are you know at the absolute at the worst climatic crisis uh, uh, you know situation and on the other side they know how to address it so you know on so that both the reasons are important that we talk to them yeah thank you so so much it's it's so important that we take them into account and as they are the ones knowing best about their area where they're living and they have managed to preserve the nature from their area so well and over so many over so many years over i'd say already centuries centuries um and they're now the ones being in the situation to really feel the the climate change and the climatic changes at the forefront and and they're the ones knowing how to manage that and how, knowing how to how to make the changes happen to to preserve the nature again and and yeah. doing good for mother earth let's put it like that um Sarika, i yeah. would like to shed light now on on the whole gender dimension because obviously uh, we've talked now about climate change and how indigenous communities can do good or can be um, of support when we talk about climate change but um we're talking here about gender and climate about the nexus of both of the the topics um which role would you say yeah. does gender play in that regard yeah 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 absolutely so the indigenous women uh, are the primary caregiver for their families and they are much more closer to their water forest and other natural resources and since they are one with the nature they understand the cycle of life or uh, or the nature ecosystems the most and have the wisdom to find ways for adaptations you know the climate crisis as we all know is unfortunately not gender neutral women and girls experience the greatest impacts of climate change which amplifies existing gender inequalities and poses as we know unique threats to their livelihoods health safety everything now what a crisis due to erratic weather patterns due to climate crisis is one of the biggest challenges our indigenous women are facing you know because they kind of they have to walk to fetch water and the 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 worst the water crisis actually increasing not only the distance but also their hardships to do this uh, very very critical activity to you know because um, the elixir of life water is as we all know so uh, you know what we actually do in our case for example is um, we create this gender neutral water management committees in the villages where we work to ensure that the demand for multiple water uses always remain less than its availability across multiple sources and you know time and again i have seen that uh, women uh, come out with some amazing solutions to some very complicated problems which kind of has all which reiterates you know what i just earlier said that they understand these ecosystems so well that they already have solutions we just need to ask them so i think gender plays a very critical role in uh, in this regard uh, and i keep on saying that not only for adaptation adaptation of climate crisis but most importantly even mitigation and this i'm saying with experience uh, with by you know spending a lot of time with the indigenous women constantly talking to them understanding their viewpoints from where they come from and knowing the wisdom that they have 
I mean, absolutely, the, uh, you know, gender can play a big role. And we need to, you know, we need to be conscious mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. And um, could you could you maybe give us an example? Because you just said the men, for example, have come up with um, crazy and, yeah, the best solutions for it. For, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, you go for it. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like, for example, you know, typically what happens is that uh, in a village, you have two or three drinking water sources, which are typically the open wells, you know. And uh, uh, initially, what used to happen was that all the wells would be simultaneously used. And uh, they would all get over at the same time. So, uh, you know, we were discussing that, how do you address this problem? One of the women who was a little older woman and also never went to school, okay? So in in traditional sense, she was illiterate. Although I, I don't like that word because she was immensely mm-hmm. literate on their culture. She had mm-hmm. immense knowledge mm-hmm. on uh, climate and she knew everything. So, but technically you have, you people she'll be classified yeah. as an illiterate woman, you know? So she said that, why do we need to use all these wells simultaneously? Why can't we uh, create a sequence where uh, we all of us use one well for two months and don't touch the other two wells at all, you know, and let them kind of, uh, you know, we just save them, we cover them with leaves so that the evaporation doesn't happen. And um, we ensure that the water is safe by using, so she kind of introduced us to this uh, plant, which keeps the water safe, still water safe, and it doesn't turn uh, mud, you know, dirty or filthy or doesn't start smelling or something like that. So this, she knew about these existence of these plants, mm-hmm. which we had never heard of, honestly. And then, uh, uh, you know, uh, we used her advice and we actually started sequencing the usage of these uh, open wells, you know, that the first two months, uh, the open well, which uh, tends to get over fast will be used and then the, mm-hmm. the next well and then the next well. And uh, while we also simultaneously worked on improving the capacity in each well, but I think the sequencing kind of helped uh, uh, make the village uh, water secure, water positive, as far as drinking water uh, and gave them drinking water security. You know, and so this idea came from women who, as I mentioned, that technically should be classified as illiterate. So very Mm -hmm. simple solution to, very simple solution. I mean, very, very simple solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that solved the problem. Um, What I would be now interested in is, um, because we were talking about gender and gender obviously includes men and women. How do you mean um, sense the climatic changes? What is the role that men play in indigenous communities and Maybe you can have, maybe you have one one story to share um, also when we talk especially about men or people with uh, diverse genders. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, uh, you know, in the indigenous communities, the role of men is primarily uh, as a, uh, you know, to, to earn money for the community where women takes care of the uh, family, natural resources, water and everything. So that is primarily their role. And as I mentioned uh, some time ago that the men uh, usually were in the traditionally were forest produce gatherers or the hunters. But now because all of this is not there, they can't be, they can't hunt anymore. They, there's no forest left to collect for a forest produce. So they are all forced to kind of forage or migrate to urban areas and become laborers. So we kind of introduced agriculture as an opportunity locally. And uh, again, the men... Um, Uh, and climate smart farming rather because you know again we wanted to make them resilient to climate change and uh, and stuff like that so climate smart farming was introduced for men and very interesting actually men again understood they knew their soil 
they knew how to preserve soil and uh, when we ta started talking about role of grasses in soil conservation and preservation uh, uh, many men actually came out with uh, some very interesting um, thoughts on this and uh, participated wholeheartedly because they understood grasses can play a phenomenal role in uh, climate mm -hmm. addressing climate change again because soil can is can sequester a lot of carbon and grasses help in not only improving the soil health but mm -hmm. uh, addressing soil erosion so you know so again this whole program of uh, introducing grasses on the farms or near the water bodies or in the forest that we are actually protecting not only protecting but also planting creating those mm -hmm. food forest kind of a thing so uh, you know so i think uh, while women uh, definitely should be and are at the forefront of finding solutions to climate crisis uh, the other uh, genders are also play a very very important role men also come out with some amazing uh, and uh, you know i think it's it's like uh, the crisis affects everybody exactly, so exactly. everybody has a role to play so what is important is really identifying these roles and giving them uh, you know opportunities to, uh, mm -hmm. to uh, perform, perform the power those they have to to really come up with the solutions yeah. and implement them um now what is it that you think that we can maybe learn or relearn from indigenous communities when we're talking about climate change and climatic uh, changes and environmental changes and gender roles which recommendations would you give for the future for the future generations for i don't know um the future debates to tackle the climate gender nexus yeah so women uh, can actually play a very critical role in response to climate change you know due to their local knowledge uh, and leadership of sustain uh, su sustainable resource management and leading sustainable practices at the household community level you know and we have time and again it has got it has proven that women's participation at the political level has resulted in greater mm -hmm. responsiveness to the needs of the time which is whether citizens needs or the climatic needs or whatever and increased cooperation also among parties ethnic lines delivering more sustainable peace etc so clearly women have a role gender role is very important at the local level women's inclusion in leadership level which you know i have mentioned that how it has um, made made our program mm -hmm. much more robust because they participated as leaders and they contributed their voices were heard and uh, it has definitely improved outcomes of cl climate related projects and policies and as life protectors and life savers and life givers you know their wisdom in addressing and mitigating uh, as well as adapting climate change is extremely critical so i i my recommendation is honestly that uh, we need to work closely with these women hear their voices bring it to the uh, mainstream ensure that uh, their wisdom is actually used uh, in uh, policy at the policy level to address climate crisis and uh, you know just make it very it, it's very obvious that uh, they they are they have a very yeah. critical role to play and that they should be in the leadership positions as well yeah yeah absolutely also at all the levels at the local level community level regional level yeah. international level so yeah. that's that's very yeah. critical absolutely so Serika, we're actually already at the end of our lovely conversation and I want to thank you so, so much for sharing the perspective on indigenous communities, for sharing that they are the ones really living with nature, being nature people, being the ones mitigating and having 